the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Holy smokes, before we begin today's episode, we have a special announcement. Ben and I are going on tour. That's right. We're hitting the road, Noel. We're heading to Philadelphia for a live show at Philly's Podcast Festival. Okay, so it's less of a tour and more of an appearance. I, th- I feel like it still counts, though. This is so exciting. It's our first time out of the studio. It's true. Out of the, we, we literally have never left the studio. We're, they're finally going to let us out. <laughs> We're going to do this show for you. Um, joining us will be our pals Will and Mangesh from Part-Time Genius. They're going to do like this really cool trivia show, mm-hmm. which they are famous for, their world-famous trivia show. We're going to hang out with them. There's going to be some special guests. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is July 1st at 4 p.m. at the Trocadero Theater in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You can find out ticket information at phillypodfest.com. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians, and thanks for tuning in. Whether you have multiple PhDs in various specific aspects of the story of human civilization, or whether you consider yourself an armchair history enthusiast, one thing's for sure. You've probably, probably met a dog. Probably. I th- I've, I've met at least two dogs. That was the same dog, though. You think so? I think it was the same dog. Why do you think that? Because you showed me the pictures, and I think it's the angle. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> I'm more of a cat person. Um, but, no, I've met multiple dogs, mm. in truth. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard of Abraham Lincoln. Yes. And today's story is about uh, the confluence of these two concepts. When we think about dogs, we always think about strange dog names too, right? And there's one thing that always baffled me when I was a kid. When I traveled abroad, I didn't understand that dogs who grow up in non-English speaking countries don't speak English. That's right. It's a weird thing, you know, and you probably ran into dogs who spoke German when you were in Germany. 
Are you teasing me, Ben? No, I'm what not. What do you mean? Like, like they when they bark, they do it with like a German accent? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, they well, they wouldn't respond to commands. There you go. See, yeah, look at me but, getting uh, all twisted around. Also, in something that has nothing to do with this episode, I think it's hilarious the way that other languages will write the sound of a dog bark. Mm-hmm. You can look it up for yourselves, folks. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, I forgot. Hi, I'm Ben. Whoa. That was the longest preamble, pre-name drop opening ever. My name's Noel. And just to get it out of the way, not get it out of the way, this is a cause for a celebration. We'd like to welcome back with open arms our super producer, Casey Pegram. It's been too long. Casey, thank you so much for returning here to the States, here to the studio, here to Ridiculous History. Casey's into dogs, right? You like dogs? I'm a dog person. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Would you say you're more a dog person or a cat person? Uh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty. Up? Yeah, I had both growing up, okay. so I'm I'm pretty agnostic or amb- ambidextrous. I got you. You're, you're to, ambidextrous. Uh, yeah, with your animal affection. Yeah. So it's it's interesting because we often hear of this divide between cats and dogs, and with just a brief nod to the science behind domestication, it's fascinating, Noel. Dogs were domesticated by people, but cats largely domesticated themselves. Cats do everything for themselves, man. They're persnickety little creatures who don't need us, and they will eat us when we die in our apartments, sad and alone. Or if the size difference was reversed, they would also eat you. Totally. Have I told you about how my cat like brings little presents and like like just looks like they look like satanic rituals laid out on my doorstep, mm-hmm. like decapitated squirrels and you know mm-hmm. with the guts in the shape of a pentagram and oh my and god, it's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I share a bed with this thing. What am I thinking? A colleague and uh, someone worked with in the past, Lauren Vogelbaum, has the same thing with her cat. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's because you guys have indoor-outdoor cats. I finally put a bell on that little bastard, and now I'm hoping to give those things a fighting chance. See, I let my cats just be the agents of chaos they were meant to be. No, that's true. And Lincoln appreciated cats in addition to dogs. He referred to cats as, like, one of his hobbies. Yeah. But his old pal, his trusty sidekick— through thick and thin, well, up to a point, was an old dog. Yeah, it was a dog. And today's episode that we're finally getting to is about this dog. It's also a way to answer a question about dog names. Because when you think of a dog, you think of generic dog names, right? Spot. Sparky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, things like that. And I don't know about you, Noel, but it's it's strange to me when I meet a dog with a person name. Yeah, like Steven. Or Ashley. I love it, though. I, I'm a fan of it. When I first heard of a pet that was named after a human, I thought that was the most clever thing in the world. I The first one I met was neither a dog nor a cat. It was a turtle, and I, I was so impressed. His name was Robert Louis Stevenson. That's great. He was a very uh, trepidatious, uh, explorative turtle, for sure. <laughs> sure. Very slowly exploring his surroundings. Mm-hmm. He was tentative. But with dogs, there's one name that always feels like the generic, the quintessential name for a dog. Yeah, like a Kleenex. Yeah, yeah, or Xerox. Yeah, but, right? you know, for a dog. Right, or Google, but yeah. for a dog. It's Fido, right? Fido, here, boy. Here, Fido. Here, Fido. You ever heard that in a Looney Tunes cartoon? Mm-hmm. And very popular in Looney Tunes, and I think some Disney stuff as well. These days, Fido isn't even in the top 100 common dog names. Because they're all named Steven and stuff. <laughs> yeah, right? They're, they're all named George Ashcroft or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But now, 
even with the popularity of Fido declining, everybody in the English-speaking world, at least, associates the name Fido specifically with a dog. Yeah. Like, let me get a Coke. You mean a soda? <laughs> right. Let me see that Fido. You mean that dog? Mm-hmm. It's like and, that. And it turns out, right, that there's a reason for this. There is a traceable, specific reason that Fido became known world over as a dog's name, and it goes back to our boy, young rail splitter himself, mm-hmm. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. Um, the That old uh, yellow dog we were talking about, his name was Fido, and he was a mongrel, kind of a mixed breed, uh, yellow, floppy-eared fellow that uh, Lincoln just adored, and he loved to play with Fido around his home in Springfield, Illinois, with his sons, Tad and Willie. Mm-hmm, who are stories of their own, believe you me. Uh, yeah, as he before he became president, he had several dogs and cats in his home in Illinois, and it seems like the crowd favorite was Fido. At least Lincoln's favorite was Fido. We'll get into a little bit more of the Fido lore later, but for now, in his heyday, Lincoln, before he became elected president, Fido, he would walk around town, Mm -hmm. he would go get a little trim at the barbershop, and Fido would wait patiently outside for him, untied, just perfectly loyal. Um, What's the word? Uh, Fido is short for what? Fidelity. Right. Uh, The name is Latin for faithful. Right. And... For about five years before Abraham Lincoln became president, he was a lawyer, and Fido would just follow him everywhere. Yeah, I keep seeing mentions of Fido would even carry parcels for Lincoln in his mouth. Yeah, and he became sort of this walking business card for Lincoln as well in town because they would see the little yellow dog, and they would know that the lawyer Lincoln was around. He was about. Yeah, But fame changes things, right? In 1863, as he was preparing to move to the White House to serve as commander-in-chief of the U.S., people started to think that Fido was maybe a little too friendly, a little too outgoing. Not even that. Maybe even a little fragile, Mm -hmm. right? Because when in his hometown, um, you know, when the president won the election, there were, you know, all kinds of of commotion, right? We had cannon fire, uh, fireworks. Screaming politicians. Yeah. People farting. Yeah, all of that. Various noises. And Fido uh, was spooked. By this, he was mm-hmm. not. He was not uh, excited about this. It made him very uncomfortable, and he, you know, totally kind of withdrew. Yeah, he was described as a frisky mongrel in, in a Life magazine profile of him at the time. So he did not accompany originally the the Lincolns to D.C. Instead, they picked up a dog named Jip and uh, two goats, Nanny and Nanko. Get where the goats to mow the lawn at the White House? You know, my old co-host Scott Benjamin is all about that. Well, there's a service here in Atlanta where you can rent a goat that'll clean up your uh, your foliage. Yeah, and it's not just in Atlanta. When Scott recommended to me that I, instead of repairing my lawnmower, rent a goat, I thought he was joking. But Scott he's, doesn't joke about stuff like that. He doesn't really joke. He's a very sincere dude. That's true. Shout out to Scott Benjamin, or as I like to refer to him, F. Scott Benjamin. Um, so, yeah, uh, Fido stayed behind, and it took a while, but the president, it was very important for him that, that his, his old trusty yellow dog, Fido, had a, uh, a suitable home mm-hmm. with suitable affections and spoilage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he decided to 
have another person, a person he could trust, take care of Fido back there in Springfield. He contacted John Roll, who was a carpenter, and said, hey, you and your family, could you take care of Fido? He's, he's a great dog. You've seen him around town. He's the one who carries parcels. They were old pals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was already familiar with Fido, but just like any helicopter dog parent, as Lincoln left to pursue the presidency, he also left behind detailed instructions for Fido's day-to-day care and spoiling and the stuff he likes, stuff he doesn't like. Oh, dare we say conditions. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, Conditions. Yeah. What were some of those? Hit us. Whenever the Roll family was eating, they had to give scraps from the table to Fido. Also, he could never be yelled at or scolded for having muddy paws in the house. This becomes a theme with Fido, <laughs> always having muddy paws right. and being a little too eager to uh, hop up on people. And they gave him some equipment too, right? Gave the rolls some equipment. Yeah, it was a custom couch that Lincoln himself had built because as we know, unlike the myth of, of Napoleon being extra mega super short, he was just sort of of average height, maybe a little shorter than average. Mm-hmm. Lincoln was in fact quite tall. Yes, and some people have speculated is due to a condition known as Marfan syndrome. But regardless of the cause, Lincoln himself was one heck of a scarecrow. He was six feet four, very skinny, looked like you could uh, tie a kite to him and he would fly away. And so a, a couch that you would buy at the store was not going to accommodate a man of his height. His, his, his uh, lanky frame, his legs would just be hanging off the side if he wanted to have a nice lie down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I see this custom couch that was made of horse hair, and it was also Fido's favorite piece of furniture, and I'm sure it, you know, had familiar smells and all that, and he made sure that the family that was taking Fido got this piece of furniture so that he could lounge around on it and feel super duper at home. And... It's tough to overstate the importance of this sofa to Fido himself because when he was frightened, this is the sofa he hid under. When he was happy, this is the sofa he lounged upon. In a very real way, the sofa, second to Abraham Lincoln, is the most important thing in the home to Fido. We mentioned earlier uh, Lincoln's sons, right? Tad and Willie? Yep, Tad and Willie. And they were, of course, hit by this. This was their childhood dog. They're saying, oh, shucks, good on dad for being the president, but why can't Fido come? It's the end of an era, you know? But they, uh, I'm sure dad, old Honest Abe, explained it to the boys mm. uh, very gingerly. And I'm sure they, they came to understand. I'm speculating here a little bit. But <laughs> they seemed like good boys. You might have said, look, uh, I can do two goats. It's the best I could do. Well, yeah. yeah. Hey, that's a good deal, though, man. One dog for two goats. I don't know. I don't Dogs know. Dogs don't don't mow your lawn either. Those goats, though, apparently were uh, were uh, hellraisers in the White yeah. House. The staffers did not like them because they would, like, not only chew up the grass, like, they would chew up, like, everything. You know? Have you ever hung out with a goat with their weird octopus eyes? You mean greatest of all time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm flattered, Noel. Thank you. No, the physical goats. No, I have not. Oh, the, uh, the I'd be afraid they'd buck. <laughs> yeah, they're weird. They can be affectionate, but they will eat darn near anything. Yeah, like you know your fist mm-hmm. or your heart. But that's just with their cuddliness. Yeah. So yeah. So despite all the gestures and all the reassurances you can make, anybody who has been a parent who had to explain the loss of a pet to a child understands that it's heavy and deep stuff, whether it's just moving or whether the pet has passed away. 
And perhaps, ridiculous historians, as you're listening, you're thinking of moments in your life when you were a child and you lost a pet or you were somehow put out of contact with it. It's very psychologically trying. And Lincoln, you know, go with allegedly here, allegedly Lincoln attempted to combat this by resorting to a relatively new technology at the time. Yeah, he wanted to, you know, have a nice family portrait of uh, of Fido. And we've got these images um, around today. It's great. You can see him, like, lounging on, what is it, like a, like a throw rug kind of situation? What do we got here? Yeah, it looks like he is on a, on a table with a nice uh, rug or heavy tablecloth. And he's got his paws uh, just roguishly hanging off, like he's ready to jump, but he's comfortable. And this is back when you would have had to stand really still. Still, doesn't it seem like taking a picture of a dog would be challenging at best? Yeah, it would have to be a super chill dog. Yeah. But be that as it may, turned out it worked. And there's a pretty good photograph of Fido, which you can you can find if you just Google Fido Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. 
<laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising, one with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. We did find one wrinkle to the story here, at least in terms of chronology, right? Yeah, and this is how we start getting, well, I think we can use this as a jumping off point into the kind of sad part of this story. Um, there is a historian by the name of Dr. James Cornelius who curates the Abraham Lincoln Collection at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum who says there are some issues with the chronology of, of when this photograph was taken. Original reports suggested that Lincoln himself commissioned it, and uh, it seems maybe a little more likely that it was done in the aftermath of President Abraham Lincoln's assassination, when Fido would have been a very famous dog, and some eagle-eyed photog around uh, Springfield thought it might be a uh, a hot ticket item to have mm. photographs of the dog that that they could sell to mourners. Yeah, so you'll hear two different versions of the chronology here. You'll hear that uh, the photo was made after the assassination, or you'll hear that it was made beforehand. And regardless, either way, this photo gets into newspapers and Fido, the dog himself, and just the name Fido becomes universally acclaimed in the U.S. and probably a little bit beyond the U.S. as well. So this is when people start naming their own dogs Fido, right? A kid sees a dog in the newspaper and the dog's name is Fido and they think, I'm going to name my dog Fido, just like President Lincoln's dog. And when Lincoln was assassinated in 1865 in the Ford Theater, this did very little to quell Fido's popularity. In fact, it added to it. Isn't that correct? Yes, Ben, that's exactly right. People would line up to take, you know, to meet the presidential dog. And um, here, here's a little bit of a breakdown of the story of this photograph as it kind of like weaves into this uh, part of the story. Mm -hmm. So this guy by the name of F.W. Ingmeyer had a yeah. photo studio in Springfield. Um, and according to the original story, it was in late 1860 or early 1861. There are actually three shots of Fido. One nice from the front shot and then two profile shots where he's a little bit more kind of hunkered down. Like yeah. he's uh, swimming in a – he's trying to ford a stream of some kind, right? And the exposure makes them all look radically different. Yeah, it's true. The one from the front uh, is very sepia looking. Um, the And then there's another sepia looking one from the side that is 
very um, high contrast kind of like the what the background is totally white and you can't see any textures almost blown out yeah and then the last one which I think is by far the most successful of the photographs aesthetically you can see that the wall has kind of a, a shaded uh, shadowy look to it mm-hmm. and the dog's fur is properly exposed and you can see the texture of the rug and there's a lot more um, detail in this one yeah there's also the fur is so detailed that it almost looks like Fido might have some German Shepherd in him. So Ingmeyer, F.W. Ingmeyer, has also become the subject of investigation, especially by a guy named Dick Hart in his book, Springfield, Illinois' 19th Century Photographers. But the problem is that apparently between 1860 and 1861, um, Ingmeyer uh, didn't have a f- photography studio. Um, mm-hmm. He was actually working as a minister in the Baptist faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that was his weekend job. Uh, and then he was also a sewing machine salesman. Yeah, he was selling sewing machines and probably preaching on the side as well. Uh, he ran a bunch of ads in various papers for his sewing machine agency, but he didn't even start paying for a photographer's license until 1862. I'm sorry, a photographer's license? Uh-huh. It was a different time. That seems, uh, yeah, wow. That's <laughs> Well, also, it's a really new technology. That's true. So you probably, it's a new technology. You probably, and I'm just spitballing here, man, you probably have to have some sort of training. Safety training. They got those flash bulbs. They can take your eye out or burn, yeah. burn your, your fingies at, at best. I mean, New technology is always a pain. Have you ever watched videos of someone attempting to start a Model T? It's crazy. You can break your arm. What, just with like the, you got to like pull it like a lawnmower? You have to crank it? Yeah. You have to, you have to. It's like starting a chainsaw? Turn a crank. Oh, okay. That's crank. And if it gets cantankerous, it will fly back with such force that it'll break your forearm. It'll kick back at you. Wow. So probably, uh, I would like to think taking a photograph was not that dangerous or didn't have that possibility for danger, but you had to have some training. And what you brought up here is really important because we're looking again at the timeline. So that's 1862, right? That's right. That is allegedly when he began to pay for this uh, license in installments, I'm imagining. Uh, and that's the, that's $10 total for the license, um, which was, you know, a pretty penny mm-hmm. back in 1862. And he first ran an ad for his photography business in October of 1864 because there were a lot of soldiers passing through nearby Camp Butler. It's important to say that this chronology of the license and the advertisements, uh, this chronology does not prove that Ingmar did not take those pictures of this pooch in 1860 or 1861 but it calls it into question, you know? That's right. And this is all from a uh, fantastic post, uh, you know, speculating on this chronology. Because, again, a lot of this stuff is is just that, speculation. But it comes from a pretty solid source, a guy by the name of Dr. James Cornelius, who's the curator of that Abraham Lincoln collection um, at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. So if anyone knows, you know, he, ought, he ought to know. Yeah, he's he's the leading expert, literally. He sold a matched set, Ingmar, that is, sold a matched set of four photos with identical back marks, which are, think of it like um, 
you may have seen your parents do this, writing on the back of a photograph with the name and date, the time or description. Yeah, it, yeah, like, like a time code that you would see mm-hmm. cameras these days, actually. Well, not so much, but like they used to be when you get the prints, there'd mm-hmm. be that annoying little watermark in the bottom left-hand corner that was the time and the date. There's something kind of similar, if not more analog, at play here. Right, yeah, exactly. And in this book that we mentioned by Hart, there's this match set of four photographs that Ingmar sold with these back marks. And in the Hart book, they're dated back to 1865 and 1866. The four photographs are the following. A hillside tomb at Oak Ridge Cemetery, a photograph of Lincoln's old home, a photograph of a horse known as Old Bob, which I think is a cool horse name. Is that the same as Old Robin? Is that short for it? Because I've seen it both ways. Mm -hmm. Did he have two horses? Because Rob could be short for, no, Bob could be short for Robin. Bob could be short for, yeah. 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 Because Robin is, I don't know. The the photograph that I'm seeing is actually captioned President Lincoln's horse, Old Robin. It's got to be the same horse. Because I've I've seen the same photograph, and then I'm looking at the description from Dr. Cornelius. So maybe Dr. Cornelius is just so familiar with him that he calls him Old Bob. Old Bob, yeah. He spent a lot of time researching this. Also in the photograph, maybe they were more formal. You know, that was the, 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 that was the horse's Christian name. Right. And if you were familiar, mm. you could call him Old Bob. But most importantly, that fourth photograph is the high-quality profile snap of Fido. And you know what these look like, Ben? Mm-hmm. These look like the kinds of postcards you would buy at a gift shop for like the Grand Canyon or President Abraham Lincoln's uh, boyhood home or, or mm-hmm. what have you, right? Yeah. So it, the, the, the theory here is that no, these photos were not commissioned by Lincoln himself during his life. They were done as a kind of get-rich-quick scheme by this guy, Ingmeyer, when Lincoln's death brought droves of, of mourners and, uh, and um, people paying their respects to Springfield. So why do we believe Dr. Cornelius's version of the events? Well, that's primarily because he has matched times and dates into a single unified chronology, and the story about Lincoln commissioning the photographs actually comes to us through John Roll, primarily. And you can't really, we're not saying Roll was lying, but it's very easy for him to be mistaken. You can't really blame someone for getting the details of a dog picture a little bit off, you know, decades and decades later. I have heard of worse historical blunders, my friend. (laughs) Right. So Dr. Cornelius finds a kicker, a nail in the chronological coffin here. Uh, He says that if the Lincoln boys... Tad and Willie, had a photograph of Fido in the White House, why does it not have that same back mark, the the mark that Ingmeyer used to Mm -hmm. distinguish his photographs, right? Why does it have one from 1860 to 1861? The thing is, the one surviving copy today is identical to the images from 1865 in both the label and the back mark that indicates the provenance of the photo. If someone took a photo of Fido for the boys in 1861, why would it have needed the label President Lincoln's dog? You can find the family's photo album today in the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum or Appleblum. <laughs> that's the acronym. That is a, that's a literal mouthful of, of <laughs> word salad. Yeah, but you can, you know, you, you can find the photo album today 
And it doesn't have all of the photos. About half of them are missing. But the other half are in the Lincoln Financial Foundation collection in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so to Cornelius, to Dr. Cornelius, all of this evidence points to the photo being taken in 1865. I think that's some good detective work there from the good doctor. Mm -hmm. I agree. He is the uh, Sherlock Holmes of Abraham Lincoln. uh, Dog photos. Dog photos. Yeah. Yeah. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you. Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. 
Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Guys, you might be saying, look, I get it. The dog picture was probably made in 65, not 61. But for Pete's sake, for Fido's sake, can't you just let me enjoy a cute picture of a doggo? Yeah. I mean, seriously, it was like one of the original doggo memes. Um, but also, you know, we, we really did spend a lot of time talking about those pictures. I'm fascinated by the whole the mystery of it and, and when, when, uh, when things make their way into official accounts that, uh, that then prove to not be the case. But um, this story does take an interesting turn, uh, dare I say a, a pretty sad turn. For old Fido. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So obviously it's a national tragedy when Abraham Lincoln is assassinated. And it turns out that Fido also met an unfortunate end. In 1866, about a year after Lincoln's assassination, Fido, again, very much a dog of the people, never met a person he didn't like. Fido is walking along, minding his own business, and he sniffs across somebody who appears to be sleeping on the sidewalk. I thought you were going to say sniffs a crotch <laughs> of someone who appeared to be sleeping on the sidewalk. Possibly both. I yeah. bet you. I bet you. If you, if a friendly dog met you and didn't move, the first thing it would do is sniff your butt. Yeah, he wants to be sure if you're cool. Um, but this guy was not cool, as it turns out. There's a couple of accounts of this story, uh, mm. conflicting accounts. Uh, we'll go with the the most sensationalized, depressing account, which is that, first, that is, th- which is that this intoxicated uh, uh, gentleman, this roustabout, this, this kind of uh, delinquent mm. guy, woke from his uh, drunken stupor and stabbed the dog, you know, to death with with a knife in a panic, right? In he a thought panic. he was being attacked. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. And I've even seen there, it, it was even written up that it was more malicious that he was just like in his drunken rage. We should probably read that one. Actually, it was a letter mm-hmm. that came from um, the caretaker of the dog. Yes, in 1954, John Roll, the caretaker of Fido himself relayed the following information to Time magazine. Okay, so more of an interview than a letter, but here we go. Um, I didn't realize this came so late in the game. Uh, He must have been quite old. Mm -hmm. So you can see how he could get some facts wrong. Yeah, so, but the way he tells it is a little bit more the, this is the most malicious account of this uh, this guy. Um, He says, quote, we possessed the dog for a number of years until one day the dog, in a playful manner, put his dirty paws, there's dirty paws again, upon a drunken man sitting on the street curbing, which I think that means like whittling, and in a drunken rage, thrust his knife into the body of poor old Fido. So Fido, just a poor yellow dog, met the same fate as his illustrious master, assassination. So that's that's the most sensationalized version. But as, as we had established earlier, that may not be entirely accurate. And even today, people disagree on the specifics. We're talking about this guy, right, who's, who's on the street whittling his pine stick or whatever, but we haven't given him a name yet. No, we haven't. And that's the thing about uh, the way these kinds of stories get passed around. Um, It's real easy to want to demonize the man who murdered Abe Lincoln's old yellow mongrel dog in the streets in a drunken rage. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, a little less cut and dry when you actually realize that there is a human here with the the story. Another spin on this story that you can find comes from 
a story in the Illinois State Journal from 1893. Uh, and here is a quote from that uh, that also gives some pretty pretty sad details to the end of old Fido's life, whichever way he ultimately went, whether by force or by accident. Quote, mm-hmm. he, Fido, was exceedingly friendly and had a habit of showing his congeniality by depositing his muddy yellow forepaws plump on the breast of any who addressed him familiarly. Oh, and you can't yell at him for his paws. Yeah, that's another uh, one of Lincoln's uh, yeah. conditions to the, the Roll family. <clears throat> I continue. His excessive friendliness eventually caused his death in a very unique way in that Fido suffered the fate of his master, assassination. Uh, the dog, which was a yellow fellow of moderate size, ran against Charlie Plank, who was whittling a stick with a sharp, long-bladed knife. By an accidental move, while the dog was expressing himself in caresses, the blade was buried deep in his body. Uh, he shot out the door like a flash and was never seen again alive. Apparently it was a week or more before they found his body. It was about a month, right? Yeah, at, um, behind the old chimney stack of the Universalist Church there in Springfield. So he got stabbed and ran in fear, right? That is what animals tend to do when they uh, are mortally wounded. That's they want to go die alone I think, under a house or something. And I think uh, humans qualify as animals That's in true. That, that part. Charlie Plank's story doesn't end with this murder of Fido. Uh, We know a little bit more about him. He had a couple of other encounters with law enforcement after he was, oh, we didn't mention it. He was a veteran. Yeah, that's right. He was a veteran of the Civil War. He was a member of Company G of the 114th Illinois Infantry Regiment, which was uh, considered a pretty illustrious company, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. Yeah. And we know that he had been beaten and robbed by two men on North 7th Street in 1865. Uh, we know he got in an argument with a guy named Peter Burns in 1868, ending the argument by drawing a revolver with small shot and shooting Burns in the shoulder. Again, it was a different time. He also got... <laughs> He, he also uh, was involved in a court case. Burns was fined the sum of $3, quote, for using language to Charles Plank calculated to provoke a breach of the peace. Language, you say? Fighting words. Oh, my goodness. He said, you wastrel, you dunderhead. A wastrel? Is that like a wascally wabbit? It's a wasteful or good-for-nothing person. That, was, that must have fallen out of uh, out of popularity. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that one. Uh, so we we know what... Roughly happened to Plank. He had his ups, he had his downs. Uh, He had been in some legal altercations. Uh, He moved to Michigan eventually, worked as a clerk and expressman, and passed away in March of 1917. Uh, He is buried on the grounds of the Grand Rapids Veteran Home. Now, this, this sounds like it's all ending on a downer, but this is that's not the case. Because when we look at Fido, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how uh, Max, the gorilla in South Africa, grabbed such attention and really locked into the zeitgeist. The photography is a relatively new medium. People love animals. There's a picture of an animal that is 
published in syndicated papers across the nation. People are against stabbing animals. Thank God, generally right? speaking. I mean, yeah, that's part of the story I didn't know, though. I knew about Fido, and I knew he was Abe Lincoln's old yellow mongrel um, best friend for life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know that that kind of more melancholy part of the story. So it's interesting. Um, but yeah, and to this day, I mean, like you said, Fido equals dog. Like Xerox equals, you know, photocopy. <laughs> right, right, right. Or Google equals internet search. <laughs> you mean web crawler? What are you talking about? <laughs> Google. What, what are the other that? ones? There's Prodigy, uh, uh, Lycos. Lycos. Lycos yeah. Is, yeah. And, uh, you know. Lactose. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, that's a different, that's the different thing entirely. You might still have your AOL CDs, friends and neighbors. I keep a stack of them to use as coasters and just to hand out to people as party <laughs> gifts when they come by the house. I, I always love to Frisbee them. Uh-huh. Me and my old dog would, uh, would frisbee those things. Oh, man. Tell us about your old dog. Ah, it's too soon, man. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, a beloved pet. A beloved pet. Very much so. I love pets. And we hope you do, too. Uh, yes, Fido became the world's most famous dog for a time. Because, I can't think of a more famous one. Because mass media was going out. Let's see. There I, was that one they shot into space, right? Mm-hmm. Did yeah. I make that up? No, the Russian dog. Okay. And then there was- Don't went, know its name, though. Uh, I can't remember. We can find it. His name is on record, and we should do a thing on animals in space, but spoiler, there are a couple of uh, downers in that one. But yeah, especially if you're, again, like you should be, against animal cruelty. (laughs) Right, right. And so although Fido's life ended too soon, he remains immortal as a symbol, the symbol, at least in American English, for all things canine. He is the quintessential, I believe we used the word earlier, the quintessential image of a faithful, friendly dog. A good boy. A good boy. Good fighter. With B-O-Y-E. Here comes that good boy. Aw, snap. What up? What up? Family show. (laughs) Look it up for yourself. (laughs) Uh, So here ends our story of the rise and fall and immortal fame of the most famous presidential dog, the frisky yellow Fido. But the story doesn't stop there and it doesn't stop with Fido. If you haven't checked it out yet, do check out our community page, Ridiculous Historians, where I believe, uh, Noel, was it you or was it one of our fellow listeners who started that awesome thread about pets? There's a cat thread. I think it's specifically about cats. Mm -hmm. And... um, yeah, I posted a picture of my my good boy, bad boy, really, Robert. Fernando, Robert Fernando, because mm-hmm. um, he's, you know, like I said at the top of the show, always bringing creepy little uh, ugh, dis- dismembered tributes. Yeah, I'm uh, not, not a fan. He might be trying to teach you to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but do let us know about the uh, dogs in your life. Send Casey and Noel and I some pictures. Find us on Ridiculous Historians. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook where we are Ridiculous History or some variation thereof. It's true. And as always, thank you to our super producer, Casey Pegram, our super researcher, Christopher Hostiotis, and uh, Alex Williams, who composed our banging theme. And... A super special thank you to our returning contributor, Lori L. Dove. We worked on a sound cue for you, Lori. Here we go. This is what it sounds like. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) And please don't forget to join us next time when we talk about uh, historical mooning. We are so proud of that sound cue. Yes. Yeah. It was a good one.
This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.